This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. And this is our first show of 2023. So happy new year. Before we get into it, Olivia, as always, happy new year. It's wonderful to see you. How are you doing? I mean, happy new year to you, John. I'm doing really well. It's been a low-key New Year's Eve. I know I feel bad that you were supposed to do some traveling for the holiday and Southwest canceled everything. So I'm guessing, you know, it was a little bit of a bummer, but I am glad that we got some time to record and hopefully you had a productive four days off. So yes, lots of spring cleaning and organizing. That's what I started my New Year's with. That's so much better than going on a trip. Right. I mean? I'm not mad at Southwest. I am a little disappointed, but it's beyond my control. I mean, if anybody, I guess you got to be mad at Mother Nature, right? Right, right. Why travel when you can Swiffer? You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. I traded in my Southwest ticket for a Swiffer. Well, I'm still glad that it was a good new year for you. And if you are listening, we really do hope that you had a wonderful new year as well. Hope you're ready to rock 2023 to the best of your ability. I just cannot believe, you know, new year, new podcast. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you do New Year's resolutions? No, because I know immediately that I will fail. Yes, 100%. Yeah. You know, I don't either. I always say I might do something, and then I'm like, I don't know why I put so much pressure on myself. I already ran a marathon. What else do I have to do this year? Right. Right? I mean, no big deal. And anything that I would set as a resolution is something that I should be doing anyway. You know what I mean? It's like, go right. to the gym more. That's a given. If I didn't do it all 2022, 2023 isn't going <laughs> to make me do it. It's not going to change much. Well, I am really excited for this week's episode. I have to tell you, it is kind of topsy-turvy. There's a lot of twists, a lot of turns. It was very interesting. I'd never heard about this case before. So I'm really excited to cover it with you, see what our listeners think. What do you say? First show of 2023, should we just dive right in? 
I think so. And just so our listeners know, we are starting 2023 with show notes of 15 pages. So this one should be a doozy. I'm excited to hear about it. I've never heard of him. Yeah, I hadn't heard of him either. And I had the day off today. So I was doing my research as we were recording. And I was like, oh, it'll take me like, you know, an hour or two. And I started about 10 this morning and I wrapped up <laughs> at about 630 this afternoon. So I took Jeez. a lunch break in there. But other than that, it's been straight research all day. So, All right. Well, let's hear what you got. Awesome. Well, on October 11th, 2002, a fisherman was out in Boone Lake, Tennessee. While enjoying his leisurely activity, he saw what he believed to be a mask floating in the lake. As he looked a little closer, he was overcome with shock. There, floating in the water, was the severed head of a male. The fisherman immediately called 911 and reported what he had found. Now, the next day, on October 12th of 2002, another fisherman was participating in a fishing tournament on that same lake. This fisherman discovered a severed hand floating in the lake. Again, 911 was contacted immediately. The man collected the hand in a fishing net and met investigating officers on shore. Now, later in the day, because of those finds, a crew of inmates were brought in by authorities to walk the bank of the Boone Lake. Within 15 to 20 minutes, another severed human hand was discovered. Now, at the same time that this is going on, on another part of the lake, a man had taken his daughter and his nephew bank fishing. This man's daughter discovered a piece of human skull that measured roughly five inches in diameter. Again, 911 was called, and the skull fragment was turned over to authorities. So before we continue, I wanted to stop right there and just kind of ask what you're thinking so far, because we're over two days, a human head has been found, two severed hands, a piece of a skull, and it's all on the same lake. So where are you at first 30 seconds into the story? How many bodies do we have? Is this just one person chopped to pieces or is this like multiple bodies and we're just finding like, you know, two left hands, two right hands, you know, that kind of thing. That's my first thought. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking, too, was like, man, that's a lot of body parts. And as I was going through the research, I was like, man, are we going to have like 10 bodies, two bodies, 12 bodies? Just when it's severed body parts, it's hard to tell. Now, the head and the hands would later be identified as belonging to 17-year-old Adam Chrismer. Chrismer and his 16-year-old wife, Samantha, had recently been reported missing. The teens were a newly married couple from Cucamonga, Georgia, and both had connections to a local resident, Howard Hawk Willis. Howard Hawk Willis was a man with an intriguingly dark past. He grew up in the country in Georgia with his mother, Betty Hawk, and stepfather, Sam Thomas. Thomas had a niece named Wilda Gad, and Willis grew up as cousins with Gad roaming the countryside surrounded by family. Sam Thomas and Willis's mother divorced when he was a teenager. Wilda and Willis didn't see much of each other for many years. During that gap, Wilda had joined the Air Force, gotten married, and had children of her own. She would later divorce her husband and become a single parent. The pair reconnected in 1988. Willis was described as a jokester who was always laughing and cutting up, and he was also adjusting to being a single parent to his daughter Kelly, who was about four or five years old at the time. Willis had been married to a woman named Debbie Winnegar. According to Willis, Debbie had run off and abandoned him and Kelly. The love of his life had up and left him, and he was now solely responsible for his daughter. Now, for people listening, as I go through this next part, I want to make sure that I am clearly defining what is going on here, okay? Wilda Gad is the niece of Sam Thomas. Sam Thomas married Howard Hawk Willis's mother. So Howard Hawk Willis is the stepson of Sam Thomas. So through marriage, they are cousins. The parents then get divorced. 
there's no blood or DNA connection between the two. Got it. Thanks for clarifying. So when they reconnected in 1988, Wilda was immediately attracted to Willis. He seemed loving and kind, and he cared about family. They began spending time together, and their kids instantly became attached to one another. The pair decided to move in together as friends and help raise each other's children. And at some point, what started as a friendship turned into romance. Wilda felt loved and cared for, and she felt that she had found a man who would put family first. Now, at the same time, Howard Hawks Willis was going through a custody battle over his daughter, Kelly. After Debbie Winnegar disappeared, her sister and mother filed for custody of the young girl. Willis had gotten Winnegar pregnant while she was married to someone else, and because of this, he was not listed as Kelly's father on her birth certificate and was not considered her legitimate father. Since he wasn't on the birth certificate, a judge sided with Winnegar's family and Kelly was placed in their custody. Determined to help, Wilda enrolled in junior college and began to study to become a paralegal. But at the same time, rumors began to swirl about Debbie Winnegar's disappearance. There were claims that Howard Hawk Willis had murdered Winnegar and disposed of her body. Debbie had visited her family in Gate City, Virginia for the Christmas holiday. They last saw her on December 23, 1986. According to her family, she was then supposed to return home to Ringgold, Georgia, but she was never heard from again. Now, at the time, Willis said that the last time that he had saw Winnegar, she told him that she was leaving him. He then stated that he took Winnegar to a bus station in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he never saw or spoke to her again. Eventually, Winnegar's family would report her as a missing person. Only a few short months later, Howard Hawk Willis and Wilda Gad reconnected. So I want to stop right there. I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit. Because as I was going through, I was like, you must really like this guy if there's rumors that he may have killed his ex-wife. She's missing. Her family hasn't seen her. But you're like, hey, let's move in together, raise kids together, you know? Yeah, at first I was kind of confused because it mentioned that Winnegar just disappeared. And I thought she had just left, like up and left him. But it seems like both of those things happened. She was leaving him and then she never came back home. Yeah, she went to visit family. She was supposed to go back to where they were living in Georgia. They never heard from her ever again. I'm really interested in seeing where this goes. You have Wilda moving in with Willis, and she's a distant cousin, but then he's his wife is missing. He's potentially murdered her. Like, I'm just so confused. And this has to be a small town, so, like, everybody has to know what's going on here. Yeah, and from what I understand and doing my research— They grew up on a farm that was essentially surrounded by family members. The grandfather owned a lot of property, so the entire family kind of lived in this area. And I had to go back and double check and make sure, okay, like, they're not blood related, right? Because the way that I think about it is, like, you know, if my mom married some guy and he had a daughter that was my age, stepdaughters, and they were married for a year and got divorced and then... I met her when I was like 20. You know what I mean? But it's not even that. It's further out than that. Like it's a cousin of the stepdad. Right. Like how often are you seeing that person, you know? And they grew up really close as kids, like young kids. Sam Thomas and Betty Hawks, who was Howard Hawks, Willis's mother, they got divorced when he was in like middle school, middle school, high school. So they met up like years later. Yeah. Now Willis would later file for divorce from Winnegar. But because she was missing and he was a person of interest in the case, it was hung up in the courts. But then, out of the blue, the rumors and the custody battle were seen to maybe be put to rest. Someone matching Debbie Winnegar's description showed up at Willis's attorney's office. 
The person handed over signed divorce papers and a document that gave Willis full custody of their daughter, Kelly. It was like something out of a storybook, and it put any concerns Wilda may have had to rest. But Willis's lawyer wasn't so sure. The signature that was on the divorce papers didn't seem to match Debbie's on any other archive document. The lawyer wasn't going to present anything in court that could have potentially been falsified. Now, at first, Willis originally denied knowing anything about it. But when Wilda pushed, he confessed. Howard Hawks Willis had someone dress as Debbie Winnegar and deliver the papers. He had convinced a friend in Oklahoma who resembled Debbie to help him. At this point, Wilda began to have small concerns about their relationship, but Willis was a charmer who was able to smooth over the situation. Now, because the documents were forged, Winnegar's family had been granted full custody of Kelly, but Willis never turned her over. Unbeknownst to Wilda, Howard Hawk Willis was now wanted for kidnapping. In fact, she only found out about it when she saw that he had been arrested on the local news. Wilda and her uncle, Sam Thomas, were able to bond Willis out. He was released on bail and Kelly was put in the custody of her aunt. Eventually, Willis was granted the divorce for irreconcilable differences and abandonment. Shortly after, Wilda Gadd and Howard Hawk Willis were married in a local courthouse. The pair were happy newlyweds, but old family ties began to cause disruptions. Willis's mother, Betty, was not happy that her son had married the daughter of her ex-husband. Betty was controlling over her son, and she expected him to do what she wanted at all times. Their relationship was so rocky, in fact, that Betty had threatened to shoot and dismember her daughter-in-law. And during all of this, Wilda and Howard continued to fight to get custody of Kelly. Finally, Wilda's study of the law paid off. She filed charges against the judge in the case, and apparently the judge had been meeting ex parte. This means that this judge was meeting one-on-one with one lawyer, but not the others. Because of this, the judge was recused from the case. Later, a DNA test was done that proved that he was in fact Kelly's father and he was granted custody. The couple, along with Sam Thomas, drove to Virginia to pick up Kelly. Shortly after being reunited with his daughter, Wilda and Willis decided that they wanted to build their dream home. The couple would need money for the mortgage, so they went halves on an 18-wheeler. They formed a company called SH&W, or Sam, Howard, and Wilda Trucking. Wilda would book the trips, and Willis would make the deliveries. This went on for several years until Willis found someone in Texas and let him take over the bookings. Howard Hawks Willis began making regular trips from Mexico to New York hauling loads of citrus. Willis was now out on the road more and things began to change. He started to neglect Wilda and the kids so that he could be out on the road, and according to Willis, it was all about bringing home the money. But one night, Wilda received a call. Police in New York had discovered the truck abandoned on the side of the road. Willis was nowhere to be found. They were asking Wilda where her husband may be, but she had no idea. And remember, at this time, cell phones were limited and she had no way of getting a hold of him. This is circa 2000. The New York State Police then asked Wilda if they could search the truck. And because she was co-owner, she gave permission, thinking that they would only find citrus. To her shock, police found 700 kilos of cocaine in the back of the 18-wheeler. Let's stop right there. You got it. <laughs> what? <laughs> I Cocaine's mean, a hell of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was not expecting it. This one just keeps taking twists and turns. I'm just sitting here trying to just keep everything on track. And then and now drugs are involved. 
and not like just some drugs. That's like a 18 wheeler filled with cocaine. Yeah. And then I'm trying to go back to like the young married couple that was found in the lake. Oh, we're going to get there. Like, I just can't figure out how all this is attached. But anyways, I was just shocked when I saw 700 kilos of cocaine. Yeah. And then that Wilda doesn't know anything about this. That or she's a really good actress. Well, and I mean, to her, I can imagine that, you know, she's like, my husband's a truck driver. He goes down to Mexico. He gets oranges and limes and he drives to New York. And brings home 700 kilos of cocaine. It's fine. Yeah, and I would also imagine that there's probably good money in it. That's what I was thinking as I was researching. Like, he's probably getting a lot of money, but I would also imagine that he's not telling her how much money he's actually getting. Right, right. Okay, let's keep going. I need to know what's happening. Willis eventually made contact with Wilda, and knowing that he had no other option, he turned himself into police. Sam Thomas confronted Willis about the drug haul. Willis claimed that he had no idea that there was cocaine in the truck. Word got to Willis's mother, and she blamed Wilda for the entire ordeal. She continued to make threats against her daughter-in-law. Meanwhile, back in New York, Willis was offered a deal. If he provided the names of the others involved in the drug smuggling, he would get 20 years probation, but he would walk with no jail time. Of course, he took the deal. Sam Thomas also posted a $2,000 bond, and Willis returned home. With the business gone, Willis began spending most of his time around the house. A rift began to form between the couple, and as Kelly entered her rebellious teen years, that gap only continued to grow. But what was strange was like Kelly, Willis began to act like a teenager himself. One day, Wilda came home from work to find her house filled with teenagers sleeping on the floor and sleeping bags and blankets and on beds throughout the house. She found Willis asleep in their bedroom, and when she confronted him, he stated that he was just trying to get along with his daughter. According to Willis, he was allowing Kelly to have some space and to have her friends over. But Wilda didn't buy the story and she continued to push. Willis eventually admitted to letting the kids drink alcohol in their home. Wilda was obviously angry as this went against everything she thought the couple believed in. She told Willis that this behavior was inappropriate and she didn't want it happening again. And Willis agreed. But it wasn't long until it did in fact happen again. It was New Year's Eve of that year, and Wilda learned her husband had gone out with Kelly and some of her friends. That night, Willis never returned home, and when he finally made it back to the house the next day, he told Wilda that he and the kids had gotten a motel room because they had all been drinking. Enraged, Wilda began to wonder if there was some sort of sexual element to Willis's behavior, and what good reason would a grown man have to party with teenagers? This was the last straw for Wilda, and she knew that their marriage was over. She took her kids, and she moved into an apartment in the area. Now, shortly after Wilda moved out, a group of teenagers moved into the home with Willis. But he was on probation, and having no job, he couldn't make the mortgage payments. So he was now squatting with a group of teenagers in the once dream home that he and Wilda had built together. Now, even though he wasn't able to afford the mortgage, he was able to bankroll the drugs and the beer that these teens were enjoying. Eventually, the bank foreclosed on the house, but the party didn't stop. Willis and the kids moved into another home in Roseville in late July of that same year. Wilda didn't know how her ex was affording the home, but assumed that her ex-mother-in-law, Betty, was footing the bill. And at this time, Sam Thomas also washed his hands of Willis. At the time, based on the information that he was getting from Willis, Sam believed that the couple's falling out was because of Wilda. But one day, Sam dropped by the house unexpectedly, and he was disturbed to find his stepson living and partying with a bunch of kids. He was hurt because Kelly was his grandchild, and it 
pained him to see her acting out. Sam realized that he was wrong and he began to make amends with Wilda. Now, in August of 2002, Wilda received a phone call from Howard Hawk Willis. He was leaving a wedding chapel where Kelly had married her boyfriend, Brandon. He also shared that two of her friends had gotten married at the same time, Adam and Samantha Christmer. Willis had taken the teenagers to get married, but nobody understood why. Again, why would a grown man take a group of kids and allow them to get legally married? Okay, this answers a lot of my questions. I was so confused in the beginning when you were talking about these kids being married. They're teenagers. Who in their right mind would let them get married? Yeah, they're babies. And also, as I was going through, and I'll talk a little bit more, I think, when we wrap it up, but... Mm -hmm. This is the unraveling of a man like over years. And I think that's what really kept me interested as I was going through. You're playing this role. I'm a family man. I love my daughter. My wife just left me. I'm just this guy who's struggling to take care of my family. And that's what's important. And as time goes on, you're slowly seeing that kind of fall to the wayside. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing this real person come out, which I think is really crazy to, to kind of watch going through. Now, Wilda and Willis's divorce was finalized in July of 2002, but it was important to Wilda that her kids continue to have a relationship with their grandfather, Sam Thomas. They had grown up together. They all knew him as grandpa. She wanted to continue to have Sam in her kids' lives. Now, later in September of 2002, Wilda's mother was having surgery. Sam was going to come down and help take care of the family farm, but he never showed and no one ever heard from him. This was concerning because Sam was always known for being very prompt. Several days went by and there was still no sign of him. That's when Wilda decided to drive to Sam's home to check on him and Howard Hawk Willis agreed to accompany her. When they arrived, the house was locked up tight. But determined to find out what was going on, Wilda used a credit card to jimmy the door open. Once inside, pamphlets were found in the home that indicated that Sam may have been thinking of taking a trip. But then Willis shared something surprising. He claimed that he forgot to mention it, but Sam had said that he was going to buy an RV and take a camping trip. Wilda was immediately skeptical. Sam had never taken any kind of trips before. His overnight bag was gone, but all of his medications were still in the medicine cabinet. Sam had high blood pressure and partial blockage in an artery. He wouldn't have left the house, let alone take a camping trip without bringing his medicine. Wilda attempted to file a missing persons report on Sam in Bradley County, Tennessee. But unfortunately... Bradley County didn't take the report seriously. Wilda was told that Sam was a 73-year-old man who could come and go as he pleased. It had now been two weeks since his disappearance, and there was still no sign of Sam Thomas. Olivia, you know that I'm a girl dad. Of course I do, John. You have an adorable four-year-old. That's right, and I have to be honest, I haven't always been great at picking out the cutest outfits for her, but... I have found the solution. Now what's that? Great Lakes Kids Apparel. From dresses, pajamas, raglan tees, rompers, and more, Great Lakes Kids Apparel has everything, and my kiddo loves their clothes. But aren't kids' clothes really expensive? And they wear them out and outgrow them so fast. Well, that's the best part. Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers affordable, wearable, and playable clothes. So no matter how hard your child plays, they last. In fact, I have to fight my daughter to take them off long enough just to get them into the wash. That sounds awesome, but do they take forever to ship? No way. Great Lakes Kids Apparel is based out of Ohio and offers fast shipping, usually within two business days. 
Plus, they offer free shipping on all orders over $50, and you can sign up for their awesome rewards program and earn GLK bucks. Wow, John, that sounds like I need to send out some gifts from Great Lakes Kids Apparel. How do I check them out? All you have to do is head over to greatlakeskidsapparel.com or click the link in the show description to start shopping today. Again, that's greatlakeskidsapparel.com. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKS at checkout to save 20% off your first order. Now at this point, Wilda, her family, and some friends from church began to search the area for Sam. They searched the house again, and this time the overnight bag they thought had been taken was found hidden and shoved away. One of Sam's friends from church noticed that a chair in the living room had been moved from its usual spot. And when I was doing the research, they were talking about this chair had been in one place for so long that the legs on the chair left indentions in the carpet. My father-in-law has a, like his lazy boy chair, like that chair never moves. That's where it is. So yeah, if it was in the middle of the room, I would notice well, that's weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the obvious stuff that every time you walk in the house isn't in its spot and you know, like something's not right. Right. So at that point they dragged the chair back and they found a large reddish brown stain underneath. It was a blood stain. The search continued as hundreds of flyers were printed and distributed around town. Desperate, the family reached out to a psychic, and apparently the only information that that psychic could give them was that Sam was, quote, hunting for his arms. And I really thought this piece of information was interesting because last week we were talking about psychic detectives, and I want to pick your brain on it a little bit as we go a little bit further, but I could tell you want to say something. What do you want to say? Are you becoming a believer? Uh, I'm a believer. I'm a big fan of Justin Bieber. <laughs> okay, let's hear what this psychic has baby, to say and what baby. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and what their predictions are. All right. Well, eventually Sam's truck was discovered at the Chattanooga Airport, but there was no record of Sam Thomas booking a flight anywhere. The parking lot attendant was interviewed and he remembered the day the truck was parked. According to the attendant, a man drove the truck in parked, and then hopped into a blue Jeep with two teenagers. Meanwhile, Sam's brother decided to check his credit card statements. He found that the credit card had been used around midnight on September 5th, 2002 at a local Walmart. The family went to that Walmart and asked if they could see the security footage, and Walmart agreed. After reviewing that footage, they made a startling discovery. It was Howard Hawk Willis and 17-year-old Adam Christmer using Sam Thomas's credit card. They then took this information and shared it with police, and the Bradley County Sheriff called Willis in for an interview on October 4th. Now, Willis agreed, but he never showed. He called in and asked if the interview could be moved to October 8th. Now, what's very strange is between the 4th and the 8th, Wilda received a letter signed by Samantha Christmer. The letter claimed that Adam and several other teens were setting Howard Hawk Willis up for murder. She immediately turned the letter over to police. And just want to pick your brain for a second, because when I was like, there's a letter coming in, it's saying that, oh, my husband and these other teenagers are going to set up Howard for murder. My first thought was like, oh, but aren't you the same guy who had somebody pretend to be your missing wife and sign divorce papers? Right, right. So now he's signing Samantha's name to a letter saying that he's being set up when really he's probably guilty. I mean, we're not there yet, but I'm assuming that... Willis is the murderer. 
Well, that's what I was thinking as I went through. I was just like, that's very convenient that a letter would just come in the mail and be like, hey, by the way, we're setting your ex-husband up for murders just for the lulls. Have a great summer. And how did the police just be like, yeah, sure, you can reschedule your interview four days later? Like, that's not how this works. Yeah, and I don't think they had enough evidence. I think they just wanted to bring him in to talk to him. So I don't know if they could necessarily make him come in. Right, right. Okay, keep going. I got to know. Now, at this point, authorities wanted to speak to both Adam and Samantha Christmer, but they couldn't locate either of the teens. Then Willis finally showed up at the sheriff's office on October 8th. Now, it's important to remember Willis was still on probation from the drug trafficking charge in New York. Using the stolen credit cards was a violation of his parole, and he was going to be arraigned on federal charges for using that stolen card. Now, because of that, Willis was held in jail, and during that time, he was allowed phone calls, but they were being monitored by the authorities. One of the calls that Willis made was to his mother, Betty. During the conversation, Betty mentions a storage unit, but before she can finish her sentence, Willis abruptly interrupts her and tells her to shut up. Now, listening to the call, this obviously piqued the authorities' interest, and they began calling around to all the local storage unit companies in the area. They found that Betty Hawks had rented a unit in Johnson City, Tennessee. Police arrived, and before they could even enter, they knew something terrible was waiting for them. There was an incredibly strong and foul odor coming from the storage unit. They immediately noticed bloodstains and maggots on the floor. Inside the storage unit were two 50-gallon totes, and inside those totes were the bodies of Adam and Samantha Christmer. Adam had been dismembered. His head and his hands were missing. Now, at this point, police decided not to share or release any of the information, but they immediately called Wilda and asked her to come in to talk. They were unsure if she was a witness or a potential accomplice, and they were holding their cards very close to their chest. Then... They asked Wilda to speak with Howard Hawk Willis, and they asked her to wear a wire. Wilda agreed. Now, before she went, Wilda called Willis to let her know that she would be visiting, and he asked her to bring a tape recorder, a pencil, and a notepad. Willis was unaware that Wilda was cooperating with the police, and she believed that he would be asking her to take notes on what he wanted her to do. As Wilda sat, guards brought Willis into the room, And as soon as he sat down, he told Wilda she was too late. I blew their brains out, he said. Wilda was confused. Remember, the police had not shared what they found in the storage locker belonging to Willis's mother. At this point, Willis proceeded to tell Wilda that he had shot and murdered the teens. According to Willis, he had dismembered Adam Chrismer because he claimed that is what Chrismer had done to Sam Thomas. Shocked, Wilda asked Willis where she could find Sam's body. At this time, he named four or five potential places, but he was more concerned about how he was going to get out of his situation. It was at that moment that the police came in and immediately arrested Howard Hawk Willis for the murder of Adam and Samantha Christmer. But police still needed Wilda's help. They took her to a payphone outside of the police station and asked that she call Betty Hawks. When Wilda shared that Willis had killed the two teens and confessed on tape, Betty immediately responded by saying, destroy the tapes. Minutes later, Betty Hawk was arrested for asking Wilda Gad to tamper with evidence. After his arrest, Wilda continued to visit Willis in jail. He knew that she had worked with the police, but yet he was still willing to sit down and talk with her. She continued to ask Willis about the location of Sam Thomas's body. Finally, 
Willis gave her the answer she was looking for. He told her to go down the old road from the local fire department. There, she would find a collection of mobile homes sitting off the road. In less than an hour, the body of Sam Thomas was discovered. Sam Thomas had also been decapitated. Investigators would later find the missing head with what appeared to be three bullet holes in the skull. And what I found was really interesting about this in the research that I was doing, they found the body, but remember that Willis had given Wilda four or five places that the body could be. Mm -hmm. So they went to these places and started searching and Wilda is taking pictures of all these rocks and things like that. And she said that when she was there, they just looked like rocks. Well, she came home and she developed the photos and in the rocks, you could see what looked like skulls. And again, I am not a believer of the crazy psychic, you know, otherworldly stuff. I like the idea, but we talked about it before. I'm just Mm -hmm. not completely sold on it. They show the pictures and I was like, that's creepy. Those really look like faces. And in one of the pictures, there was a rock that seemed to have a skull formed in it that was looking at this crevice. And so they went back to search that. And right across from that rock was the head. So I was like, strange coincidence, maybe. I think John's starting to believe in psychics a little bit more. Well, it was just very strange. And I thought it was very interesting that this theme had kind of come up in the last two cases that we've done. Cause I wasn't like psychic detective case, but I was like, right. That's pretty interesting. Now I feel like for next week, I need to do psychic detective case. <laughs> I think we need to do a whole spinoff podcast. Now it would be almost a decade before Howard Hawk Willis would go to trial for the murder of Adam and Samantha Christmer. Willis continued to fire his attorneys leading up to the trial and was eventually ordered to represent himself. So he just kept, nope, firing this one, incompetent, nope, firing this one. And from what I could tell, the judge was finally like, all right, well, you're representing yourself, bud. So remember, he was arrested in 2002. The trial began in 2010. Wow. That's a good amount of time. Now, at the trial, the jury was played Willis's recorded confession and shown pictures of Adam Christmer's severed head and hands. It took them less than two days for the jury to come back with a unanimous guilty verdict. Howard Hawk Willis was sentenced to death for the murders. Sadly, Willis was never charged for the murder of Sam Thomas or Debbie Winogar. And when you hear Wilda talk about it, it seems that the response that she got was basically he's being sentenced to death, it would cost us a bunch of money to retry him for something that he would potentially just get sentenced to death for anyway. So that was hard for her because she wants justice for her uncle, you know. Do we know that Willis actually killed Sam Thomas? Or do we think that Adam and Samantha killed Sam? I don't really know. I have no idea. Yeah, and I don't think that there is a definite. Mm -hmm. I think it really comes down to what you think. And Wilda believes that Willis went to Sam's home with Adam and Samantha, possibly looking for money mm-hmm. and things got out of hand. Yeah. So it could have been all three of them or, you know, yeah, we'll never know. Well, she thinks that it was Willis who murdered him and then he killed Adam and Samantha for what they had witnessed. Right. So they wouldn't say anything. Yeah. Right. Because that's a hard thing to have somebody be like, keep your mouth shut. You know what I mean? Especially teenagers. Yeah. Now, what is insane is that Willis is still attempting to appeal his case today. Uh, And I was able to find appeals articles up until 2020. And I think there hasn't been any movement on it because of like the pandemic and everything like that has probably been pushed back. But as of 2020, he's still trying to appeal his case. 
That's crazy. Now, Willis's mother, Betty, died before she could be tried for her role in the murder. Reports state that she passed away in a motel in Oklahoma. However, many people believe that Betty may have faked her own death. Hmm. It's reported that she had many friends in law enforcement and no one ever saw the casket or a body. Willie Gad has since remarried and she spends her time spoiling her grandchildren. So that's this week's case. What are you thinking before we get into the deadbolt test? Walk me through what's going on in your head. It's a good one. It was all over the place. Not like in a bad way, but like going back to like, okay, how did Adam and Samantha get brought into all of this? I'm still so confused as to why Willis started acting like a teenager. I mean, I get it, but I don't. And maybe that's just kind of who he was all the time. I think if somebody's capable of murder, they're capable of fooling us of a lot of things. Um, and so maybe he was always that kind of guy. And I don't know if maybe there was some other stuff really back in his younger childhood that would have led us to believe that he would be some sort of serial killer. But this was a good one. Yeah. And I think for me, because I completely agree with you, I think this is a story of someone who learned to assimilate, who learned to be like, okay, I need to put on this front of like, I'm a good family man. I. You know, I go to church. I'm a God loving man. And there's again, just this monster. Mm-hmm. And that monster is wearing the mask of like this. I'm a good person. And you can only hide that for so long. This picks up in 88 when they reconnect and goes all the way until 2002. So it's just like, as this time passes, he just slowly reveals his true colors. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I'm sh- I'm sure if you meet somebody like that, if you're Wilda, you have this like, no, he's a good man. He's a good man. He's a father to my kids. Like I'm his kid stepmother. We're like, we go to church together. Like you keep looking for those things that show you that, oh, this is still the person that I thought I was marrying. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And she said the same thing. And we've talked about a lot on the show, but it just shows that you can never really know a person. You know no, what I mean? Not at all. Not at all. At all. So it was uh it was crazy. Like I said, there's a lot of twists and turns and things like that. So where are you putting this on your deadbolt test? That's what I'm really interested in finding out because This creeped me out. I want to hear what you think. Yeah, I think I'm going to put it at a seven. You know, I feel like we always rate this based on if it could happen to you, if it could happen to whatever. I think it's just scary. Like, it's kind of just really scary. Howard Willis was driving trucks and smuggling drugs and 20 years probation. And I think it said that he had gotten in trouble with something else prior to that because they bailed him out. Yeah, he didn't turn over his daughter. Right. So I'm just like, there's a lot of things and behaviors that he's doing where he is just a serial criminal. And I think criminals just get worse as time goes on. And so then he turned into a serial killer. And I feel bad that they won't have, you know, true justice for Sam and Debbie. But I'm pretty certain if I had to take a gander that he did it. Yeah. And I think most people like the investigators who work the case, Wilda, they all agree that in their opinion howard hawk willis definitely has murdered four people so i don't know i think i'm gonna put it at about a seven as well and again i'm not trying to like tie you you know what i mean but what's crazy to me is that like this could be your neighbor you know what i mean this could be your stepdad this could be your husband this could be it's that same continuing thread that we talk about where it's like you think this is a good person you think you married the right one it's the man of my dreams i love him so much and then you find out there's bodies hanging out in a storage shed you know and i also was like why hold on to the bodies why have them in storage sheds 
Like you threw the head and the hands away. Like why have them somewhere with a paper trail? And I don't know. And then the whole idea that his mother may have faked her own death and like just went off the map. I'm going to be looking for Betty. Betty's probably dead by now, I would think. Yeah, I would bet. Because in the pictures, I was like, she looks kind of old. And that was in 2002. So maybe not. Maybe she's listening to this podcast being like, don't you talk about me. Shout out, Betty. (laughs) My next question is when someone is sentenced to death, like, don't they have an execution date or do they have to like sit and have an execution date? Or is all that put on hold until like he's denied an appeal? From what I understand, an execution date can be set. But then once the appeals process starts, that date gets moved until the appeals are exhausted. So From what I'm looking up here, the convict may petition the United States District Court for review. A hearing for new evidence may occur. The second step is then appealing to the United States Court of Appeals, uh, but this must be granted. The last possible stage is the United States Supreme Court for the death sentence. So you would have to go through all of those appeals, and then if they all fail, this is your execution date because you don't really have anywhere else to take it. But what I was also reading is that these appeals can take, on average, 16 years. So a lot of the time, the person will actually die in prison just of you know natural causes or old age or act of violence or something like that before the appeals process can actually be finished. So it's it's kind of crazy that it would take so long, you know? Yeah, it seems like, okay, no, denied. And I get, let me revise that because I say that it's kind of crazy, but for the person who is on death row who actually didn't commit the crime, because there are, I mean, obvious examples of people being wrongly accused and wrongly convicted. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, definitely glad that process is there. Right, you know right, I mean? right. But, you know, for someone like Howard Hawk Willis, who was like, I did it. <laughs> you know right. I mean? Like, I feel like the appeal process was like, no, dude, we have you confessing on audio. Like, you did it. Done. No appeal. Do your sentence. Yeah. But what's really interesting about that, too, is that there's a whole Netflix documentary called The Confession Tapes, and it's all about false confessions. It's about people being put under pressure and then admitting to crimes that they didn't actually commit. So it's like even that does like, I guess, you know, just illustrates why we have to have that appeal process. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine. I mean, you've watched so many interrogations where people are sitting there and that it's hours on hours, no food, no water, no coffee. You know, you're just exhausted. You're in shock. I mean, there's no telling what I would say. You would say what anybody would say. You know, I would just have to be the type of person that'd be like, attorney, I need a lawyer. Yep. Well, yeah, and like even in that Killer Sally documentary that we're talking about, like that was the big thing. Is like during her interrogation, she laid down and took a nap. Yeah. I was like, yeah, she's in shock and she's been there for probably 48 hours. hours. Who knows? You know? Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, this one was really interesting. Olivia and I, we are both putting this at a seven on the deadbolt test, but we want to know where does the horrible Howard Hawk Willis fall on your deadbolt test? As always, you can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at check the locks pod. Find us on Twitter, check the locks. If you are not in our Facebook group, come hang out with us. A special shout out to Corey Jones, who posted a poll. She was curious about which serial killer was most likely to have you check the locks. So definitely check that out. Come hang out with us. We're doing fun stuff, doing polls. We're posting memes, gifts. It's just a really cool way to get to hang out with everybody. And we just love it. I love getting to interact and getting to know the people that are listening to the show. It really does make it feel like a family, which is awesome. Who'd you vote for on the poll? I voted for Israel Keys. He's winning so far. And I'll be saying that was my case. (laughs) well some of these we haven't done like we haven't done richard ramirez we haven't done the golden state killer right but 
Israel Keys, it was the same kind of thing as Ted Bundy, where I'm like, you could strike anywhere. You know what I mean? Like Richard Ramirez, he was a California cat. Got them murder kits. Right. But Israel Keys was like, yeah, maybe I'm taking a vacation to, you know, Utah and I've got a little kit buried there. You know what I mean? <laughs> which I don't know if anybody has Paramount Plus, but I've been watching Criminal Minds Evolution, which is like the reboot of the series. Like the whole thing is like it happens after COVID and everything's way different. But the killer they're tracking has kill kits buried all over the country. And I was like, Israel Keys. Israel Keys, the murder kits. I know this. So we say all that to say, come hang out with us <laughs> in our Facebook group. We'd love to get to know you, have you as part of the family. Olivia, this story was crazy. You got a five-star review for us. I do. This week's five-star review comes from Brother Davin, and they said, I've always been a fan of true crime, and I enjoyed this podcast. I have listened to other pods, and they seem to start off good, and then it turns into a story and a pitch to sell merch or try this. And to me, it just seems like they are profiting off of these tragic events. I believe true crime is important to bring awareness to the victims and to our surroundings, as in lock the doors. I really wish the two of you a successful podcast and look forward to more stories. So thanks, Brother Davin. Yeah, Brother Davin, thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review. We really do appreciate it, and hopefully you are still enjoying the show. You know, I got to say, I definitely agree. One thing that I really like about doing this podcast is being able to tell victim stories and to be able to talk about somebody like Will DeGad, who endured this experience of being married to this monster and fought to find her loved one. And, you know, just telling these interesting stories about real people. And sometimes there's somewhat of a happy ending or, you know, like a light at the end of the tunnel. Sometimes there's not. But I really do think that they're important stories. So mm-hmm. super happy you feel the same way. Also, we have merch, but we try not to push it super hard. So yeah, <laughs> put that I mean, out there. We, well. en- I think I enjoy our merch more than anybody else. Speaking of merch, have you sent me my keychains? No. I don't <laughs> I'm, so bad. I'm kidding. It's fine. Ugh. So again, brother Davin, thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review. We would love to send you some stuff. We've got stickers, we've got buttons, we've got pins, all sorts of stuff that we will just send you. Keychains. Keychains. I do have a couple keychains. But we would love to send you some stuff. Reach out to us. Find us on Instagram, check the locks pod. Twitter, check the locks. If you're in our Facebook group, let us know. If you're not a social person, head over to checklockspod.com. Hit the email button. Send us an email. We would love to send you some stuff. And while you're at Check the Locks Pod, there's also a voicemail button. Hit that button. Leave us a voicemail. We want to hear from you. Olivia, if somebody wants to have their five-star review read on the podcast, what's the best way to do that? Well, first, I'm going to say that they need to leave me a voicemail because it's a new year. I got to start the year off right. I need some voicemails. But if you want to leave us a five-star review, you need to hop over to the Apple Podcast app. Scroll all the way till you see the five stars. Click all five stars. Leave us a review. Tell us what you think. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. We would love to hear what you think. And these reviews, again, go a really long way in helping us grow our family. They get us in other shows' recommendations, help people to find us. So if you have left us a review, thank you so much for doing that. If not, head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us that review. You can use the link in the show notes as a cheat code. As always, we have our Patreon, so if you are interested in helping to financially support the show, you do have the ability to do that. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks. We have a lot of different tiers, stickers, mugs, all sorts of stuff. Check it out if you are interested in financially supporting the show. If you cannot financially support the show, 
That is no biggie. Just listening and hanging out with us every single week means just as much, if not more. So thank you for checking out the show. That is all that we have got for you. Very first show of 2023. Make sure you are subscribed to Check the Locks on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss Wednesday's episodes of True Crime for the Short on Time. We will see you again next week with another truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Pew, 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 pew. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my fireworks. Pew, pew, pew. (laughs) I'm leaving that. (laughs) 